Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, as Laurel has said, we can absolutely have a lasting impact on the world around us when we come to you in prayer. You are a God who hears and answers prayers, always in your time and in your way, and always to accomplish your good purposes. But what a privilege it is that you would invite us to partner with you in your work in our world through prayer. Father, today as we're gathered in front of our TVs and personal devices, we as your people come to you asking that you would take this awful virus that's wreaking havoc on our world away. Take it away. And as we patiently wait for your help, we also pray that you would give all those who are working so hard to develop a vaccine and to find a cure the wisdom to do so. Give our national and world leaders the wisdom to lead through this pandemic. Protect all of our healthcare workers who are tirelessly caring for the sick and the dying. Keep them from getting this virus. Provide all the necessary equipment and resources they need so that they can do their jobs safely and effectively. Watch over all our missionaries who are struggling to serve people in places that don't have the same kind of health care that we have. Keep them healthy and give them supernatural strength to minister to the people under their care. Create opportunities for them to share Jesus with those who may be open to hearing the gospel for the very first time. And Father, keep all who are under the hearing of my voice today healthy. Heal the sick. Watch over the elderly and those who have health issues that put them at greater risk. And also, Lord, as we're apart from one another, knit us together as never before, so that we build each other up in the faith, encouraging one another, comforting one another, reaching out to one another, serving one another, and give us the grace to step up and be the hands and feet of Jesus in our homes, neighborhoods, in our community, and in our world. And we pray these things for the greater fame of Jesus, amen. Well, needless to say, we're still in this uh, major situation, uh, a major crisis. And I'm, I'm sure you realize that the crisis is not just about the virus. It's a, it is, of course, the coronavirus pandemic. But it's also corona politics, corona economics, corona government, corona athletics. It's corona church. It's corona everything because this virus is affecting uh, all the systems of the world. And so uh, it's much more deep and wide than just this virus, which is bad enough. Uh, but many of us see that the world has profoundly changed. And I'm confident when we get through this, and we will get through it, but when we get through it and we look back, uh, we're going to talk about this moment uh, kind of the way we did with 9-11. There was a pre-9-11 world and a post-9-11 world, and we're going to talk about a pre-COVID-19 world and a post-COVID-19 world. We're going to talk about how the world changed and how we had to change and adapt as a church. Now, again, I'm confident that this will pass, and I look forward to the time when we gather again to be the people of God here at Fellowship Greenville. I mean, right now, I'm preaching to uh, pretty much a dark, empty uh, room. Actually, uh, someone has come in and uh, in, the, in, the, in the chairs right in front of me, they've put eight by 10 color pictures uh, so that I wouldn't feel so alone 
and you can see that. And, uh, and also Mike Hawkins appears in every row at the beginning of each row. And so, uh, uh, you know, I just look forward to being with you again and even seeing some of you take a good nap during some of the sermons. And uh, I, I look forward to going back to busy restaurants and coffee shops and, and taking Jeep rides with my wife and, uh, and seeing my kids and grandkids. I, 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 look, I look forward to this. So, yes, this is going to pass, hopefully sooner than later, but I believe the world will be changed by this, and the church will also be changed. So here are some of the questions I've been turning over and over in my head. First question, what does God want us to learn in this moment? I pray that question about everything I'm faced with. God, what do you want to teach me in this moment? Because I'm convinced that when we go back to normal, God will have shown us that some things need to be different. What do you think that those differences might be? Second, second question, and this is a, a what-if question, and I like praying what-if questions because sometimes God wants us to be open to new possibilities. So what if God wants to use our current crisis to bring revival and renewal to his church? What might that look like? Let's, you know, as, as Laurel said in her story, what if God wants to use our current restrictions and limitations to renew the church to really be the hands and feet of Jesus in our world? God has placed restrictions and limitations on us, some limitations that many of us are kicking against. But what if as a result of these limitations, God is working to accomplish something of eternal significance. I believe that these are exactly the things that we should be thinking about and praying about during this time. So, Selah. Uh, you remember Selah? You say, oh uh, yeah, I used to date a Sheila in high school. No, not Sheila, but Selah. Selah, remember from last week um, in Psalm 46, Selah means stop, push pause, think about what was said. So after the message, this is Selah question number one. Think about the questions that I just raised and talk about what you think God might be doing right now to prepare us as his church for what may come later. Like, what if God is using our current restrictions and limitations to renew us, to move us toward one another and out into the world in a new way, in an eternally significant way? And I want you to think about that and talk about that and chat about that online after the message. And by the way, you can uh, look at or download all of these SELA questions in a PDF form uh, from our website or from our app. It's connected to this message that will appear online. Now, I'll tell you what got me thinking about all this. Last Wednesday, I was doing my community Bible reading journal, my CBR journal, and the chapter for the day was Romans chapter 8. And you may have read what I uh, posted uh, on Facebook, but in case you missed it, here's what I recorded in my journal after reading Romans chapter 8. So after reading the chapter, I said, well, well I pretty much underlined every verse in the chapter. If you ask me what impressed you most, I would have said all of it. Romans 8 is one of the best, maybe the best text in all of the scripture 
to help us understand what it means to follow Jesus on a daily basis. But for me today, I wrote, my mind is anchored in verses five through 11. So here's Romans eight, five through 11. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't submit to God's law. In fact, it cannot, but those who are of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God lives in you. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he, will raise, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so then I wrote, when I trusted Jesus as my savior, God put his Holy Spirit inside me so that my mind and heart became inseparably connected to Jesus. It is still possible for me to live according to the flesh, that is according to the impulses of self-protection and self-preservation that come from my flesh, my bodily appetites, but Paul tells us clearly that to live according to the flesh is death, not necessarily eternal death in hell, uh, but death in the sense that it is impossible to experience the abundant life Jesus made possible for me through his death and resurrection. In these days of crisis and chaos, the temptation to look out for number one is especially great. The flesh is drawn to fear, anxiety, frustration, anger, speculation, and cynicism. These things put to death life in the spirit. The flesh wants relief, comfort, and the promise that things will get better and return to normal as soon as possible, which of course is a natural desire and, and, and not necessarily sinful. But God has a purpose for allowing what's happening right now. So the question is not, how do we get through all this so everything can get back to normal as soon as possible? No, the question is, what does God want to teach us about walking in the Spirit during these COVID-19 days? What if God wants to use the COVID-19 crisis to renew his church? What if God is calling us to be the church in a new and different way? We can plug into what God is doing only if we set our minds on the things of the Spirit rather than the things of the flesh. So come, Holy Spirit, renew your church to truly be the church of Jesus at this time and in this place. It was what I wrote on Wednesday that got me thinking about what I want to talk to you about today. Because here's the deal. In these days, we have a choice. We can set our mind on the things of the Spirit, what the Spirit of God wants to do in and through His church, what the Spirit is revealing to us about how God is working behind the scenes to do things of eternal significance, or we can set our mind on the things of the flesh, on ourselves, on our restrictions and limitations, what we don't have that we used to have, what we can't do that we used to could do, but only if we set our mind on the things of the Spirit will we experience life and peace in the middle of all this. Now, I was listening to a message by uh, 
Pastor Tony Evans, who was one of my professors back in Dallas Seminary way back just after the earth crust uh, hardened. And uh, Tony said, if you're only seeing the virus, you don't see all that's taking place right now. And what's taking place right now is a divine disruption. He said, I want to tell you what's really going on, the principle of how the world works. He said, everything visible and physical is preceded by that which is invisible and spiritual. So if you want to address that which is visible and physical, you must identify the cause and the cure to what is invisible and spiritual. Or to put it another way, he says, if all you see is what you see, then you do not see all that there is to be seen. Something else is afoot here, and it's attached to the spiritual realm. One more time, if all you see is what you see, then you do not see all there is to be seen. And if you don't get that, just look at the pandemic. I mean, people are having physical problems that are caused by something they can't see. And until they address what they can't see, they won't be able to fix what they do see and feel that's going on in their bodies and is being passed on to other people. If all you see is what you see, you do not see all there is to be seen. Now, Tony wasn't preaching out of Romans 8, but I thought to myself, that is so good. That's an application of what Paul was saying in Romans 8, because only a mind set on the things of the Spirit can discern the things of the Spirit, meaning the things, of the Spirit, the, the things that the Spirit is doing in these days. Now, the Apostle Paul, in a different context, echo, echoed the same idea in 1 Corinthians 2.14 where he wrote, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So I want to explore that with you for a few moments this morning because what we need most at this time is spiritual discernment. But first, Selah. Stop, push pause, Think about this. Sela question number two. And this question is taken from Romans 8, 5 to 11. And the quotes by Tony uh, Evans. Here's the question. What does it mean to have your mind set on the spirit during this coronavirus crisis? How do you apply Romans 8 to this crisis? How does having your mind set on the things of the spirit give you eyes to see what God might be working behind the scenes. And what does 1 Corinthians 2.14 teach us about spiritual discernment? Those are some great discussion questions. Talk about it, chat about it after the message. Now, this message is gonna feel a bit more topical than what we normally do on Sunday morning, but hopefully it will be topical exposition. We are going to look at two passages from the Old Testament that will help us see how God was at work in times of crisis. And what we're looking for is how God placed restrictions and limitations on his people in order to renew his people. So first, look with me at 2 Chronicles 15, 5 and 6. 2 Chronicles 15, 5 and 6. Now, God is about to bring a great revival to his people 
the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. The prophet Azariah, who we only know about from this text, he comes to good king Asa, and Asa ruled in Judah about 20 years after the death of King Solomon. And what's written here in verses five and six tell us how bad things had gotten in the land just before revival broke out. Second Chronicles uh, 15, five and six. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city for God troubled them with every kind of distress. So that's a description of what life was like in the land of Judah. What you have is a world in chaos, individual lives without peace. When they, when they went home, there was family conflict. When they went out to conduct business, there was disruption in the marketplace. City rose up against city, so there was communities in conflict. It says nations rose up against nations. That's international despair. Great disturbances, many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land, and they were broken in pieces. The common denominator through all of this was chaos, conflict, many disturbances, brokenness, and no peace. Now, that sounds eerily relevant, doesn't it? Everybody's restless, afraid, nervous, insecure. There's no peace. Now, what I want you to focus on, though, is what comes at the very end of verse six. Look at this. For God troubled them with every kind of distress. Wait, 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 wait. God took the blame for what was happening? Yep, look again. For God troubled them with every kind of distress. I wonder, do you see what I see? God is saying, I'm behind your lack of peace and your disturbances. I'm behind your lack of peace and all this chaos and all this conflict and all these crises that you are faced with right now. Now, whether or not uh, you say God caused this crisis or God allowed this crisis, it really doesn't matter how you say it because clearly in this text, the prophet Azariah puts the blame on God. For God troubled them with every kind of distress. And obviously, um, this is in the Bible, so God doesn't mind taking the blame for it. And clearly here, God is disrupting the normal, natural, preferred order of things on every level. Home life, work life, community life, national life. Uh, it's in all of the lands. Why? Because God is is sending a worldwide message. And it's not so much about a nation or the nations. It's about God and his people. The focus is on how God is bringing trouble on his people in order to wake them up and to bring revival to the land and, and renewal to the land. And they are experiencing a divine disruption orchestrated by God to call the people back to being what God always intended them to be. God was using trouble to get their attention. He was using great disturbances to bring revival and renewal. And under good King Asa's leadership, there was a great revival. We're told in verse 13 that the people entered into a covenant 
uh, to seek the Lord with all their heart and all their soul. Now, there are a lot of other things I could mine out of this passage, but I'm just making one simple point. God is working invisibly behind all of the trouble in the land, and he's using restrictions and limitations and afflictions brought on by the great disturbance to call his people up to once again be the people who put the greatness of God on display in their world. Now, hold that thought. I want to show you the same thing from Hosea chapter 2. Hosea prophesied in the days of good king Hezekiah, who lived about 200 years after good king Asa. And uh, so about 200 years after the revival under Asa, God had, God's people had slipped back into complacency and unfaithfulness to Yahweh. And God tells the prophet Hosea to do a very bizarre thing. He, he tells him to go take a woman named Gomer as his wife, to be his wife. He said, well, okay, so what's so bizarre about that? Well, Gomer is not a good person. Uh, she's a loose woman, and she will be an unfaithful wife. And what God is doing in all this is he's using Hosea's rocky marriage to, to this unfaithful woman as a picture of his relationship to Israel who had been unfaithful to him. Even when Gomer is unfaithful to Hosea, God tells him to take her back anyway, to win her back, to call her to be, uh, call her to be faithful to him again. And this again is picturing God's faithfulness to his people even when they are unfaithful to him. Now look at it, Hosea chapter two, verses 14 and 15. Hosea two, 14 and 15. Therefore, behold, I, the Lord, will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor into a door of hope. And there she, she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. So here we have the Lord saying to his unfaithful people, I am going to allure you. In other words, I'm going to win you back. How will he do that? He says, I will lead you into the wilderness and there I will speak tenderly to you. Now look at this. The wilderness is a place where there are restrictions and limitations, right? And God says, in the wilderness, I will give you vineyards. Vineyards in the Old Testament are symbolic of flourishing. So imagine this growing in this. The two pictures don't go together, do they? But God says, in the wilderness, she will flourish. You see that? In the wilderness, I will give her vineyards. She will flourish, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Now, what does that mean? Get this. Achor means trouble. The valley of trouble. Hmm. This is so good. I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. Oh my goodness. I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope and she, my people, will respond to me as in the days of their youth. In other words, our relationship 
with each other will be renewed. Now look, I'm not making this up. This is what God is saying to his unfaithful people. I will lead you into a wilderness of restriction and limitation, but I will make the valley a trouble, a door of hope. I will renew my relationship with you and you will trust me and obey me the way you did when you first came to me. I wonder, do you see what I see? If you just see the wilderness, the restrictions, the afflictions, the limitations of what we're all going through right now, you're not seeing all there is to be seen. If you just see the valley of the corona crisis, God, uh, you're, you're not seeing all there is to be seen because God is working in all of this to renew his people to be what he originally called them to be. Now, I can imagine if you lived either in the time of Asa or the time of Hosea, all these great disturbances, the chaos, the conflict, the lack of peace, experiencing a wilderness lifestyle, all of that would have caused great fear and anxiety and confusion and anger and frustration for the average person living at the time, just like it can today, especially if all we see is the bad stuff going on. But as followers of Jesus, we have to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We need spiritual discernment to see what natural people do not see. We have to see God's activity in all of this. And these two passages of Scripture give us two examples of how God was working behind the scenes in times of trouble to renew and restore his people to their first love. In both of these passages, in both histories, some 200 years apart, God allowed trouble to come upon his people, restricting them, limiting them, in order to renew them and restore them to their first love. You remember that phrase, first love? Now, if you've been following Jesus for a while, and you know your Bible fairly well, you recognize that phrase from Revelation chapter two, verse four, where God says to the church in Ephesus, I have this against you, you have lost your first love. You have abandoned the love that you had for me at first. So Selah, question number three. Let me ask you, is your love for God as fervent as it was when you first came to know Christ? Have other things, other loves, money, getting ahead, career, education, entertainment, sports, your family, some hobby, a certain relationship, comfort, the security of your IRA. Have any of those things become your first love? If so, God may be using this crisis to call you back to himself. Now listen, all those things that I just listed are good things. Most of our idols are good things. They're not necessarily bad things. But as someone well said, good things become bad things when they become the ultimate things. Good things become bad things when they become the ultimate thing. So what if God is allowing us as his church to go through a time of trouble because he's calling us back to himself as, as our first and ultimate love? I mean, think about it. Would you not agree that the biggest battles we face in the church in the modern world today, the biggest battles are complacency and comfortability and distraction and entertainment. 
The biggest threat is that we're actually distracted, amusing ourselves to death, as Neil Postman once said. Many of us have been lulled into complacency concerning our faith. Many of us have just been going through the motions because our faith never was really challenged because we were surrounded by endless opportunities and endless options and endless choices and it's easy to fall into complacency in times like that where on the one hand, you just take a lot of those things for granted, but on the other hand, you kind of live your life as a consumer, a consumer of all good things for myself. Now, back when we were in our exile series uh, in First and Second Peter, I read two books by a pastor named Mark Sayers, who's a student of what's going on in the church and in the culture and in our world today. The first book was called The Disappearing Church, and then he came back a couple years later and wrote The Reappearing Church. Now, I'll just be straight with you. These are not easy reads, but they're worth the read. But I want you to listen to what Sayers wrote in 2016. He says, the secularist life script, in other words, the natural man's life script from 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person's life script in which humans attempt to live without having to confront the great questions of life creates an insulation against faith. However, this insulation is not as secure as it may seem. Now, here it is. If we had to endure a global flu pandemic like the one in the early part of the 20th century that killed millions of people across the world, how we view and process our personal potentials and possibilities would deeply be shaken. Think how different your life would be. Consider how you would have to readjust your life and how you access community and relationships. Your lifestyle, your freedom, your approach to faith and meaning are shaped by large-scale factors which are out of your control, which we assume to be stable and secure, but which in reality can change suddenly. The secularist life script is dependent on crucial political and economic and social factors being in place, elements that are becoming, he said this in 2016, elements that are becoming fragile, but there's a door of hope here, opening a new potential for renewal and revival in the West. Now, that was 2016. Now, what we're experiencing right now, to use our president's favorite word, is incredible (laughs) fragility. And when I say that, I'm not saying that I think the whole thing's gonna fall apart. I think we'll get through this. I think we'll learn resilience through this. But we now see how fragile we really are. And what this is doing, it's pausing the world for a a while. It's actually a focusing where we're all returning to one channel. No, No gathering in large groups, working from home, no sports, no shopping for anything and everything in your favorite brick and mortar store, international and interstate, it looks like now interstate travel is being restricted. And so all of a sudden, the things that distracted us yesterday are no longer distractions today. Think about that. So many of the things that used to distract us no longer distract us because our lives have slowed way down. Our lives have become more singular and more focused. And instead of being people who are buzzing around all over the place, we've become 
more local. And think about this. And yesterday's news, yesterday's distractions, many of yesterday's conversations have become irrelevant, even absurd as we walk through this valley of trouble together. So what I see in all of this is that we're being led into a God-ordained wilderness, not just as individuals, but as a church. And in the wilderness, in this time of great disturbances, I believe there is a door of hope. And God is calling us up to a couple of things. First of all, God is calling us to examine our hearts. He's calling us to examine our hearts. I believe God is calling us to a mandated time of self-examination, of reflection, where we get alone and we take some time and we look at ourselves and we check the state of our souls, we examine the condition of our hearts, and we assess how we are now living without all the usual supports that we used to have. So I want to challenge you during this time to make knowing Jesus and drawing near to him and connecting with him, make Jesus your focus. Return to him as your first love. You see, sometimes God creates distress because he's after relationship. That's what God does. Sometimes he creates distress, not to be mean. He creates distress because he's after relationship. And he wants to draw us back to himself. And he knows that when things are easy, then it's easy for us to become distracted and complacent. So sometimes God takes us into the valley of trouble in order to restore us to our first love. And that means that now is the, is the time to return to him, to seek him, or as we say around here, to, to passionately pursue life and mission with Jesus. And look, one simple tool that you can use to help with this is this CBR journal, this Community Bible Reading Journal. We've talked a lot about it. Uh, we've sold about 1,500 of these. If you didn't get one, you can download the app. But this thing has been the singular most important thing, the best Bible reading program that I've ever been a part of because not only am I reading Scripture and I'm writing, down, writing about the things that impresses me most from that passage for that day, and we're just doing the New Testament reading, but not only that, but then you connect with people. You send out your thoughts to your small group or a group of friends. I've got three groups that I'm sending mine to, plus posting them on Facebook. But this uh, CBR journal where you're praying and where you're in the Word and where you're connecting with other people is so important to restoring us to our first love. It's a tool that will help you personally and it will help you connect to other people uh, as, you, as you share with them every day through text or email or posting on social, social media. Again, if you don't have the journal, you can download the app. So the first thing I believe God is calling us to do is to examine our hearts. The second thing that God's calling us to do is to be the church. Now let me tell you about the self-examination that we're having to do as church leaders. What's happening in the church all over the country and all over the world is that we're having to rethink how to be the church here in the wilderness. Just a month ago, most of what we were thinking about when it came to being the church took place in or around this building. We put most of our energy into Sunday morning services. We had lots of programs and activities here in the building. Yes, 
Most community groups met in homes and we were focused organizationally on getting more people into, into, into groups. And that's a good thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But that's not how we're thinking right now. Uh, oh, we're, we're, we, we, we always knew that the building was not the church, but it was really hard to break the mentality that I go to church. I go to church. Well, God is breaking that thinking now, isn't he? God has led us into this wilderness, and we're being invited to step back into the, into the theological reality of the priesthood of, the, of believers, that we connect with God individually. We're being invited back into an Acts-type church at a DNA level. Church, how it's tended to work here at Fellowship Greenville, has been somewhat top-down. You have leaders who teach you the Word of God. You have staff who organize things, services, events, uh, small groups and that kind of thing. And in the pre-COVID-19 world, the staff was the connective tissue for the body. What this crisis is actually doing, at least for a while, it's turning all that upside down, meaning that we as leaders of the church need to pass the baton to you. We need to release you and commission you to be the church. Now, when I came here, Walt Hanford passed me this baton, and I intend to pass this on to the next uh, man who, who sits in this place uh, one day. But right now, I'm passing this baton to you. Will you take it? Will you take the baton? Now, we're, we're still here to support you, but this is a time when the church, the individual church members are to step up, to step up. House churches, Zoom community groups, Zoom chat rooms are now going to be the connective tissue in the Valley of Acor. And I mean, again, I've always said that church is not what happens on Sunday morning. Church happens in small groups because it's in small groups that one anothering occurs. And you are being called to one another each other like never before, to love one another and serve one another and pray for one another, uh, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, confess your sins to one another, Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Offer hospitality to one another. There are 59 one another passages in the New Testament, and these passages tell you how to be the church, not just in the valley of trouble, but all the time, but in the valley of trouble, the church, listen, in the valley of trouble, the church becomes a door of hope when we one another each other in these ways. And you, we're gonna be doing that through phone calls and texts and emails and social media. Social media. Now there's the third thing, and that is God is calling us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who need help. To be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who need help. This is a moment where God is calling you to step up and be the church. Be the hands and feet of Jesus to those who need help. If the big idea of last week's message was don't be afraid, the big idea of this week's message is step up because God is calling up us up. 
This is a moment where God wants his people who have had a foot in the world and a foot in the church to say, no more. I need to be all in. I need to be all in. And they step in to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to flesh that out for you. I'm not going to give you a whole bunch of illustrations and and applications. If you, because here's why. If you have your mind set on the things of the Spirit, then God will show you specific applications of how to be the hands and feet of Jesus where you live, with your neighbors, with the people that you may not be seeing at work anymore because you're working from home, but you can still reach out to them and touch touch them and make connections with them. This doesn't need to be uh, uh, spelled out. If your mind is on the things of the Spirit, you are front line now. You are front line, and God will lead you and guide you. He will give you eyes to see where he's working so you can join him there. So, So say goodbye to fluff. Say goodbye to complacency and comfortability. Welcome the valley of trouble. Church, Will you let God renew you and revive you and restore you so we can be a door of hope to people who need help, to those who may not know the love of Jesus that we have experienced? This is your moment. Do not miss it. God is doing something here. He is working behind the scenes in all of this. Do you see what I see? I believe God wants us as his church, this church, to flourish in this moment, to flourish in the, dal- uh, the valley of trouble, uh, uh, to be a door of hope to each other and to our community in this valley of trouble. And what does that look like? It looks like examining your heart, being the church, and being the hands and feet of Jesus in our world today. Listen, when things return to normal and baseball and football are back on, when you go back to work, when you go back to your favorite re- restaurants and coffee shops, when schools and shopping centers reopen, at that moment, do not look back in regret and say, I missed the opportunity when God was renewing his church in our country and in the world. No, right here, right now, look at your current restrictions and limitations as the very things that God can use to, to accomplish something of eternal significance. Remember what Laurel said? The very limitations I was kicking against were actually an answer to my prayer about accomplishing something of eternal significance. She said, the creator of the universe is inviting us to look beyond our limitations, to cry out to him in prayer, and then to watch and see what he can do. Amen to that. So I'm gonna close this morning by praying, really it's the oldest prayer in the church, and that prayer is come Holy Spirit. And when we pray this prayer, we pray it not because the Spirit isn't already here with us, not because we think we have to invite the Spirit in, but we, when we pray come Holy Spirit, we're asking the Spirit to fill us anew, to renew us, to revive us, to lead us and guide us, to give us eyes to see where God is working so we can join him there. We pray, come Holy Spirit, because at a time like this, what we need most is spiritual discernment. 
So wherever you are, I'm gonna ask that you stand with me. Some of you, I know, some of you are gonna be watching this five hours from now, but that's okay. Stand, when you get to this part of the message, just stand whenever, wherever you are, and wherever you're watching this from. And if you feel comfortable, lift your hands. Even if you're watching this on your phone or in your bedroom, just lift your hands and pray with me out loud. Let's pray this together right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Say it again. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, to those who are alone or in isolation right now. Come, Holy Spirit, to those who are fearful of their own vulnerabilities. Come, Holy Spirit, to those who are not so much worried about their physical well-being, but who are worried about the economic forecast, their jobs, the economy. Come, Holy Spirit, to those who are asking the Lord to do something new and life-giving in their lives, to those who are asking spiritual questions for the first time in their lives as they realize that the world is grinded to a halt and God may be trying to get a message to them. Come, Holy Spirit, in this moment to pastors who all of a sudden are worried that the church is going to disappear. Come, Holy Spirit, for medical workers in the ER and doctors and nurses and for first responders and government officials and national leaders and world leaders, for our president and his pandemic leadership team, come, Holy Spirit. And come, Holy Spirit, and empower your church. Renew your church. Renew this church. Revive this church. Renew us that we might be a door of hope during this valley of trouble. And we pray these things for the greater fame of Jesus. Amen.